Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. is on or should it be back on for Kevin Magnussen who returns to Formula 1 this year with the Haas team in place of Nikita Mazepin this was a move that didn't seem on the cards just a few days ago but not only will he return to race this year but he's also going to be driving in testing in Bahrain this week I'm Ed Straw and joining me to discuss all things KMAG is Scott Mitchell well Scott this is some positive news isn't it Kevin Magnussen is a driver who still does have plenty to offer in F1 he's only 29 but it did feel like he was well and truly committed elsewhere. So how did all of this happen? Yeah, he fell into that bracket of F1 driver that leaves the championship through, you know, no not, no fault of his own, but certainly not his choice. He's not reached the natural end of his career and left. He's been forced out of F1. He's had to try and set up an alternative post-F1 career and done a good job of that. You know, lined up a, a, a proper pucker sports car program in America, the, the Peugeot gig as well for Peugeot's return to the top class of world sports car racing in, and, and the Le Mans 24 hours. So very much, and, and also, of course, made his debut in, in IndyCar and impressed over in IndyCar. So there was a potential future there as well. So he had put his best foot forward, I think, for a proper post F1 career. And he looked like someone that was relatively at peace with leaving Formula One because ultimately the last couple of years with Haas hadn't gone the way he wanted to and he'd sort of just accepted that that's what F1 is. If you don't have the car, you can't prove your ability. Better to go and fight for wins and, and enjoy yourself. That's why made his Le Mans debut, of course, with his dad as well, fulfilling a, a, a brilliant long-held ambition for, for the pair of them. So someone who recognised there was more to motorsport and to racing than F1 had to offer, looked like he was happy with that. But the pull of F1, when an opportunity comes up and it actually ticks quite a few of your boxes, it's just a bit too strong, isn't it? Yeah, they, they always come back where there's the chance. F1 is the pinnacle 
for a reason. But of course, we should add that Magnussen has got a multi-year deal. So this isn't just a, a fill-in job for a season. This is potentially a good long-term return for him. And in fact, I think that was probably quite important for him because you wouldn't want to turn your back on a Peugeot deal and his other programs just for kind of one year. And I think it's really, really good that Haas have given him that long-term deal that they needed to get him and that that means he's got a real chance to rebuild his Formula 1 career. Yeah, well, if it had been a one-year deal, I'd like... I don't really see what either party gets out of that. Magnussen, like we, I was just saying, he's done a good job of putting some building blocks in place for, for a proper post-F1 career. Throws that all away for a one-year comeback where he's going to be swimming against the tide for the first few weeks, if not months, because he's been out of F1 for, for just over a year. He hasn't been involved in the 2022 work uh, car work for the new rules. He hasn't. Um, I'm sure he's obviously been keeping his training up for other categories. He's not F1 fit, not F1 race fit. And he hasn't been in the simulator or anything like that. It's a lot to throw away for a, a few months doing that, especially as Haas is in the middle of this you know, new technical structure trying to rebuild itself. This, Haas isn't going to get back to its you know, 2017, 2018 peaks in a few months this year. And then likewise from Haas's side, they're not going to get the best out of Magnussen at the start of the season. It's going to come later. It's going to be be next year. So yeah, it just, it just wouldn't make sense for either party to only do this for one year, multi-year absolutely the way to go. And although he's playing catch-up, as you say, missed the first test, he hasn't been doing any of the 2022 car prep. He's a driver who knows the team very, very well. He's got a lot of Formula One experience. So while he's a little bit off the pace, as it were, I don't think that's a, a big problem. I wouldn't be especially concerned about that. He's raced for Haas for four years, so he'll be very, very at home there. He's only been away for one season. So all of those things about learning the processes, the way the team works, who most of the people are, all the switch operations, the comms, etc. He'll know what the big adjuster is, for example, that we always hear about over the radio. You love my... the past big adjuster, oh, don't The you? big adjuster's my favourite. It's a great name. So all of those things are not a major problem. So he can just slot in and concentrate on doing the driving. But also, for me, this is a great statement of intent from Haas. I think Gene Haas probably will regret the decision they made to take the money because that came with a, an awful lot of strings attached, some of them foreseeable, some of them less foreseeable. And by doing this, they've taken the decision to take probably the best available driver in terms of balancing up that experience, the ability, the fact he knows the team. And this has convinced me very much that Gene Haas is quite committed to this. We know he was more committed after the new Concord Agreement, etc. But this is a proper statement of intent, not to mention a huge boost for everyone in that team who's worked so hard in difficult circumstances for the past few years. Yeah, it's so easy to look at it and be blunt and and think, be a bit cynical as well, and think Haas is just going back to a, it's a safe choice, a boring choice, a conservative choice. It's just picking someone up who's been out of F1 for a little bit just because they're desperate to go back to what they know. But it, it, it isn't quite that. It's not, we were talking about, uh, before a few hours before the news came out, talking uh, just have over some food about the pos the possibility of Magnussen coming back, and you made the point it's not Massa goes back to Williams when he's meant to be retiring, is it? Yeah, it's not just a one year bolt on, as it were. It's it's a proper restart for a driver who's still got a pretty long future potentially in Formula One. Yeah, ultimately, it's so easy to forget how in you know speech marks young Magnussen is. He, he's only twenty nine. Uh, he's He's another contender for the seat or name being linked to the seat was Nico Hulkenberg. Sim similar-ish position, 
out of F1, obviously for a year longer than than Magnussen, but you know, a good proven prospect, experience, someone that the team likes because he was linked with Haas before as well. But Hulk's thirty four, like, like that's a, that's a huge difference. Five, five extra years. It, it means it means that Haas are getting a driver that has a lot to offer still for for quite a long time. Don't forget that this is someone who this is the age he should be peaking as a driver around now there isn't a set time at which a driver is at their peak but it's we're in that vicinity it's this it's this sort of ballpark late 20s early 30s and remember that when Magnussen left F1 the first time he pointed out that there was a cruel irony in that just as he felt he was bringing it all together as a driver and a much better driver than he'd been at any other point in his career the doors were closed in in F1 his career was over he he had nowhere nowhere to go and I remember speaking to him at length at the end of 2020 and also a couple of uh, key figures at Haas and the overriding feeling was that what during the toils that Haas went through in 2019 and then especially 2020 Kevin had really matured and he'd he'd smoothed out a, a fair few rough edges he was never going to be a lost world champion and there are still a couple of question marks about his absolute ultimate you know focus work ethic quality but the stuff that was there that limited him so much at McLaren, for example, and, and made him a bit of a problem at Renault, that kind of thing. I think all of, I don't think that was there anymore. Like the, the the really big stuff. I think general sort of maturity through age and a bit of a confrontation of his own limitations as a driver, what he, he knew he needed to improve, being in that Haas environment where he liked the team, the team liked him, and just feel like there was a really good dynamic there to get the best out of him. He really did evolve. And we saw glimpses of it in 2020, the, the, the run into the, into the top 10 in Hungary, for example. Haas were really impressed with what he did in those terrible conditions in Turkey in 2020 as well. These were glimpses of it, but we didn't really get to see it properly. And it didn't feel like we'd ever get to see it in Formula 1. And F1's loss would be IMSA's gain or the WEX gain or IndyCar's gain. But now it could be F1 and Haas's gain after all. We, if Haas is able to make the progress it thinks it can make, in this new era of Formula One, we might genuinely get to see the driver that Magnussen was threatening to blossom into. I think he's probably going to have benefited from that year away as well. He's done some other things. That's always good for developing your skills a bit. A bit of perspective as well is always useful. He'll have a much better view on what he did right and what he did wrong in Formula One. He's shown he's willing to come back. He wouldn't have come back if he didn't want to. He could have carried on. He's on a nice trajectory. He could have been a paid professional driver in sports cars pretty much forever, much like his father became with enormous success. But he's taken the challenge, which I think is quite encouraging. You're right. He's not a perfect driver by any means. I don't think he's the greatest qualifier in the world. He has turned in a few very, very good qualifying laps, but he's not the person you'd absolutely bet the farm on turning out that brilliant lap on Saturday, but he's decent. But he has turned in some very, very good race drives over time. And some of them are those elbows out K-Mag race drives we know, but also some very clever ones. That hungry drive you mentioned in 2020 when you made the stop on the formation lap got onto slicks, gained a load of track position. That was a race against himself, really. It was all about minimising your race time. Didn't want to waste time defending, and he didn't. He did the job, got the result. Teammate Roman Grosjean, who was in a similar position, got a little bit tangled up with us and didn't quite do such a such a good job. And he's done quite a few of those sorts of drives over his career. Mexico 2017 is another one. The Haas was not quick there, but there was a little bit of chaos early on. 
He got up into the points and he managed to drive really well, keep some quicker cars behind. We've seen that a few times, seventh at Russia in 2016, when he was just once again able to hold off some quicker cars after gaining places. So he, he isn't just this sort of rock ape driver who hits people while battling with them. Occasionally that's happened. He's a few, a few times had moments where he's maybe overstepped, but he is capable of those intelligent measured race drives as well. I don't think he delivers them all the time. I think if he delivered them all the time, you would start saying, well, this could be a world championship caliber driver. And I'm not convinced he ever will deliver them all the time. But bear in mind, when I talk about world championship caliber driver, there's only been 33 of them. That's a really high bar. But he is capable of being a very good Grand Prix driver. And he's proved it, particularly for a team like Haas. Because if they're where we expect them to be, it's going to be those really opportunistic, well-executed Sunday drives that get you the points. Well, and that's the big thing for Haas, is they now know that, they definitely have a driver in the car who, if the car is good enough to get points, he will score points for them. I think Mick Schumacher is also potentially that calibre of driver, but we, we don't know. He 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 was Formula 2 champion, but in a slightly weaker crop in, and in his second year. And Mazepin was just no bench, benchmark or reference, really, to judge Schumacher. So the jury is still out on him. Magnussen's a fantastic benchmark for him, but it's, it must be such a big big shift internally in that team just the morale difference that must make to know that you're going to have a driver that you're you're happy to go work, go racing with that that is is a real positive force inside the garage and you know on track like you say more often than not he's going to get the job done and I just think if you look at the other options that has had in this specific situation I don't think any of the others do that to the same degree Antonio Giovinazzi who I thought was the favorite to get the drive He's got the Ferrari link. Ferrari is a really important partner for Haas. He's available because he can get out of his Formula E contract. Um, doesn't have anything else on, on getting in the way. So it just made a lot of sense for, for that to be Giovinazzi. But, you know, he is he is limited as a driver as well. I think much more erratic than Magnussen is. Much more likely to put the car where it absolutely doesn't deserve to be in qualifying, but then equally as likely 24 hours later to just have a completely just pointless and baffling first lap setback. That's not really his own fault, but just something happens to him. And, you know, someone like Hulkenberg hasn't been in F1 for a couple of years. And I think he's probably taken the time off a bit more seriously the last 12 months as a formal reserve driver. But 2020, I think he even joked He'd enjoyed those first few months not as an F1 driver anymore a bit too much. So, and, and like I said, he's 34, I think. So, where does he fit on, on that scale? And someone like Oscar Piastri, who we, we also heard linked with the seat. I mean, I think it might have been possible for them to do a deal with him. There might have been some objection f- from the Ferrari side, potentially. But he was someone who you're only ever going to get for a year. There's no way Alpine are going to risk losing him longer term and he hasn't had that time to learn the team and learn the car at the first test he might have got in for a day or something in the second test like Magnussen's doing so you've got a real uphill struggle for him early in the season got a lot of talent potentially prodigious talent but it would have just taken a lot of time to get him to a point where he starts producing and then you lose him again so all things considered what the options were available to them I I think Haas have absolutely picked the right choice and followed through with this rhetoric that they could do what they wanted. They didn't have to take money or they didn't have to be beholden to, to anyone else. It was their choice. They picked the driver they wanted. 
And I think they've actually got it spot on. When you think about it, they're in a fortunate position in that usually if you're looking for a driver in March ahead of a season, you're not going to be getting the pick of the litter, are you? And what they've managed to get is a driver who's not all washed up, who does have a future, who's got a huge amount of experience in, in Formula 1, who's a podium finisher in F1, which is very, very good news for Haas, I would say. Yeah, we're being very positive about him here, but I, I think it's good for the team, and I think it's good for Formula 1 as well, because he's an exciting driver. There'll be some good storylines. There'll be some very good race performances at times. There'll be some not-so-good weekends. There'll be some moments where he gets maybe a little bit too aggressive. We'll see a mixed bag for him, but I think he'll he'll be good for good for everyone ultimately, including I would argue Mick Schumacher. Well, obviously, we'll be looking forward to Magnussen getting into the car in Bahrain. Pietro Fittipaldi is due to start on Thursday afternoon. It will be after the freight was late. A little bit frustrating, isn't it, for Hascott because. They had the problems in the first test. They did the least mileage, 160 laps, I think they achieved. Only really had one meaningful day. Day two was the the good day for them. Various problems cost them early on. But they've now got two and a half days of running. A new driver to integrate. The reserve driver is going to get a little bit of mileage as well. So they've got a lot of work to do. But I don't think we've seen what this car can do, really. It wasn't especially quick. But they're a long way behind in terms of just the run plans and programs. Every other team pretty much other than Alfa Romeo. Yeah, they, they are on the back foot um, and then losing that half day really doesn't help either. They, I guess what they will have done now is probably rejigged their program so that they can try and get through all of the validation work on the solutions they wanted to their problems from the first test with Fittipaldi in the car on the on, on the first afternoon because it might well have been that the intention for the um, for the first day was always just let's tick off a bunch of the stuff we've learned from the first test and then days two and three in Bahrain are where we really want to get down to business. It's possible they can still do that in a, in a single afternoon, especially as obviously once we get into that later running, it's all a little bit more representative anyway. So they might want to be, a, they might be able to get more running in in the afternoon. The, the, the program might have been weighted more to the afternoon anyway. I, I, I'm sure this is what they will be sort of telling themselves. It's all about searching for silver linings. I'm not trying to pretend it's not a setback for the team, but there's always there's always ways to to try and fix these things. The priority will then be to get Schumacher as comfortable as possible in his opportunity in the car, and then obviously try and integrate Kevin back into the team and the car as absolutely quickly as possible. But um, because of that setback with the completely out of their hands on the cargo side, all the the stuff going on with Mazepin and Nuri in the background, um, and just the sort of ongoing feeling of this team again that's been going on for a little while now they really really needed a bit of a motivation boost morale boost a bit of a feel-good story and at least they've got that it's taken a lot of the attention away from the fact that they won't be running on the first half day yeah and they can I'm not going to say catch up the other teams in terms of running because they can't but if they do have two and a half good strong days with lots of mileage they're still going to be down the bottom of the laps completed charts for testing, but they can get themselves in a position where they'll be pretty well ready for the Bahrain Grand Prix. If it's another test like Barcelona, that could be a very different story. But that's an interesting car. It's got some nice details on it. It's not a really basic undercooked car. They've shown that the effort they didn't put into last year's car in order to put it into this year's car has been well spent. The question is whether it all works it can look nice and it can show they've clearly spent lots of time on it. But the proof of the pudding is in the lap time, to uh, to butcher a, a phrase. Now, 
Nikita Mazepin, Scott, just because he's lost his drive doesn't mean we've heard the last of him. Along with his father, Dimitri, and Hass's erstwhile title sponsor, Errol Carlyle, has been a constant stream of Mazepin-related stories over the past 24 hours. So where should we start? EU sanctions? Demands for money to be paid back? Mazepin's new foundation, perhaps? We could uh, throw a dart on a dart, uh, dartboard that's just like, so, like every single space on the dartboard is just some ridiculous Mazepin-related topic because it feels like we've written more about him in the last week than we have his entire F1 career, which I think speaks volumes about the quality of his F1 career in 2021 and obviously just the, the state of the saga um, since uh, since the first test, really. Um, yeah, it's difficult to know where to start with it, to be honest. I guess I, to rattle through it just quickly because <laughs> it really is ridiculous. The headline points are um, Ural Kali ha- ha- are demanding a refund because they say that they paid most of Mazepin's 2022 sponsorship up front and therefore they're saying well you've you know, gone back on the agreement you've not upheld your side so we want that money back they're going to use that money apparently and the re- the w- the outstanding balance that they then would have paid Haas over the rest of 22 to set up this new fund supporting what Maz- in Mazepin's words um, basically people who are being punished because they have a Russian passport, um, people that aren't able to go where they want to go, compete where they want to pe- compete as, as, as athletes. He's promising them help finding jobs and mental health help and that kind of thing. And he's called it, we compete as one. I just think I want, it's my opinion. I think it's, 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 very clear to me where that name has come from and it's to it's a very much a it's barely even a sideways jab is it it seems like a full-on punch in the face to be honest um so there's that element as well Mazepin's come out and said all sorts says that you know he got no heads up from the team that he was being dropped he found out as the press release was um being announced by Haas that they've terminated the deals him and Urakali kept calling it uni- a unilateral decision um, he says he never even had chance to speak to Haas and discuss whether the FIA's conditions on Russian athletes would or Russian drivers would be sufficient for him to keep racing. In that sense, Mazepin seemed open to signing the the, the agreement with the FIA that he you know he he'd run under the FIA flag. He'd be a neutral athlete. He wouldn't condone the the Russian war on Ukraine. All, all of this stuff. Um, indicated he would have accepted that but claims he was never given the chance just said that they just fired him and then just to put a cherry on top of this woefully baked cake it emerges that according to the the, the official journal of the European Union that Dimitri and Nikita Mazepin are now among 14 uh, Russian I think business people or people associated with businesses and, and the like added to the list of people being sanctioned for effectively uh, their their ties to people or businesses that are putting Ukraine's sovereignty and independence and well-being at, at risk. And that comes back explicitly to Dmitry Mazepin, Nikita's father and the boss of um, Uralchem, which is the parent company of Uralkali, being caught one of, I think it was what he was one of 37 uh, Russian oligarchs that were called to the Kremlin for a meeting with Putin on the day of the the rush the first proper Russian attack in in Ukraine, and the EU says that, that is evidence of 
the fact that he is that Dmitry is part of Putin's inner circle, and Nikita's been dragged into this as Dmitry's son and someone who benefits directly from the business that has this direct relationship to the Russian president. Um, so they're both now on the list of people to be hit with sanctions, which I think it's difficult to find sort of specific references to it, but it's broadly travel bans and potential freezing of assets and, and that kind of thing. So it could be about to get a lot more complicated for the Mazepins. All it does is just underline two things. One, why Haas wanted to distance themselves from that relationship as quickly and emphatically as possible. And two, just how difficult it was going to be for Mazepin to keep racing in F1, even if Haas didn't take any action. Yeah, I think you've run through very well the reasons why Mazepin wasn't really tenable as a as a driver. I must admit, I do find his foundation slightly troubling, shall we say. He did seem to go out of his way to dodge any questions about commenting on the invasion of Ukraine and what he thinks about it. I do have some sympathy for Russian drivers and athletes in other sports who are prevented from competing. But when you've got such a clear link, I think it becomes difficult to uh, to be so sympathetic, shall we say. But I think Haas will be fairly <laughs> pleased to be clear of this. I'm sure they foresaw the legal problems, etc., that would follow. There's no doubt they knew what they were getting into. So we'll see how that all plays out. Well, I think it's a sign of uh, just how bad things were um, that, as you say, they would have known or had a good idea of what was to come. It was. I don't think it's an unexpected legal challenge or what could be a legal challenge. Um, I think it's quite telling that Haas picked that over sticking with them. Yeah, and given everything that's out there and everything that's going on, they've got as good a chance as, uh, as they'll ever have of, of being able to beat any legal challenge. And you'd have thought the Mazepins have some more important things to turn their attention to in their world as well. So, yeah, I'd be very, very surprised if we uh, if we see Mazepin back in F1 anytime soon. But, of course, you, you never know, as has been shown with Kevin Magnussen. And certainly, to come back to the original point, a boost for Haas, a boost for F1, and I think we'll probably see that best version of Magnussen that, that you talked about without wanting to be too gushing about him. He's a driver who's got plenty to offer. I think he'll have a have a decent season. The thing I'd most like to see from him is that improved consistency, but I do think these cars could suit him, I would say. He does get on quite well with understeery cars, and these cars are quite understeery particularly in the, the slower corners. Remember there was one season when Grosjean was moaning about understeer and Magnussen was saying, no, it's absolutely fine. And they're also cars that look like they're going to respond quite well to a little bit more of an attacking style. So that's quite Magnussen as well. We'll see how he gets on with the car. It might not be that straightforward, but it might be that these cars suit Magnussen better than the old cars did, which you had to be very, very careful with how you use them. These are much more robust aerodynamically given that they are on ground effect cars now so yeah I'm hoping to see a, a good season from Magnussen yeah we um, I, I really hope that that car is as good as some people in Haas think it could be because I, no one at Haas is thinking that that car is going to be a top 10 contender every single Grand Prix but I do think they think it'll be something that can fight for points when everything's done properly over the course of the year there will be opportunities this year I'm sure for Magnussen to try and score points again with Haas and I think that would just be 
quite a nice little story, won't it? If uh, if that comes off and Magnus actually able to to pull it off, especially if that happens somewhere, he's done something special in a hat before. Like if that happens, I can't imagine it will happen here in Bahrain. If he, I presume he's going to to to, to do the first race as well. It's not like Fittipaldi is suddenly going to get like one or two races at the start of the year. I'd be amazed if he pulls off some heroics in in Bahrain. But Australia, for example, or Austria, which is um, just before the halfway mark of the season, so he'll have plenty of. Uh, Time, he'll have had plenty of time to bed in by then. He's done some pretty cool things um, at these tracks. It would just be quite nice to see him um, let loose again and, and actually pull off a decent result. Yeah, and a net gain for Haas. The biggest asterisk against them this season was the driver lineup. Mick Schumacher, I think, is a decent driver. He's made a decent start, but we're still yet to see exactly where he, he fits in. Again, another driver, he'd say, doesn't look like he's going to be a world champion level driver. And again, there's not many of those. But this is a... a a big upgrade for Haas, so very, very encouraging for them. Well, thanks very much, Scott, for your insight. Head to the race.com and don't forget the hyphen, as there's a huge amount to read on there about the latest goings-on in Formula 1, although right now, as I look at the website, they're pretty much all Haas, Kevin Magnussen and Nikita Mazepin related, but we do talk about some other teams as well. And of course, we're going to have daily podcasts from testing. Me and Scott are in Bahrain as we speak. And of course, do check out the Race Live Hub, which will bring you all the latest on testing, not not just that, but also analysis, photos, technical insight from our team on the ground. Do check out our sister podcasts, including Bring Back V10s, and also have a look at our YouTube channel. As I say, we're going to be here every day during testing, so stick with us for everything you need to know about F1's preseason. season <laughs>